Welcome to Health System CIO's podcast interview with Ray Gensinger, CIO at Hospital Sisters Health System. In part one, Gensinger talks about what he likes and doesn't like about remote work models, how the distribution of responsibilities among divisional CIOs helps the IT team maintain alignment with overall strategic goals, and what he considers to be the single best investment an organization can make during an implementation. Okay, so in our conversations, we're seeing a lot of remote and hybrid working models, even two years later, and I'm guessing HSHS is is probably no different. So what is your team's status at this point? Are you partially remote? Every organization was a little bit different. We were trying to get our people remote for years, and then it it took a pandemic to prove it to them that it really didn't make any difference. So, Oh, yeah. uh, Probably 90% of my staff are remote at this point. You see it staying that way? You know, I think it's going to flip back to more of a hybrid environment. I really do. You know, if I had my way, I would probably ask the people to come in three days a week, come in Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and work remote on Mondays and Fridays. You know, the big push for us and other organizations was the real estate value, right? If I can permanently keep my people out of the building, then, well, we did. We sublet the floor where one of the buildings that we were in and just moved everybody around. That was definitely an advantage. Yeah. But if people don't have a permanent space, you know, there's other ways you can do it. Right? You can rotate teams, you know, that are work to, working together and stuff. I just, while I'm, I'm a typical IT introvert, there is something to be said for getting together. Mm-hmm. And we actually, three weeks ago, we had a celebration for our staff. We had, during COVID, completed three major systems implementations, things that had been going on for a decade, wrapped those up. And then we had missed two Christmas parties. Mm-hmm. So we've been, I and some of my leaders have been on a tour over the course of the last month, getting people back together and yeah. just nice happy hour, buy them a couple of drinks, give them some food and just let them, let them hang out. And the response has been overwhelming. I mean, people yeah. are just so so happy to get back out and interact and how much they missed each other. And I think there's a lot to be said from working from home, but I think people also realize that there's a loss that comes with it too. Yeah. It's interesting what you said, because in one of the, uh, the webinars we did recently, we were talking about this and one person, she's a CISO, and she had said that starting with social occasions was really a good way to go because, you know, it's like get people mm-hmm. talking first, have some kind of event you know, and then really start to ease in more. But I can really understand that. It's like taking it one step at a time. Right, right. You know, we're starting to hire more people who are 100% remote in other states. You know, it used to be we only hired people in our immediate geography. So yeah, that one becomes a dilemma, right? So if I'm, yeah. you know, if I'm going to have a Christmas party, do I fly them in? Do I give mm-hmm. them a hotel room? Or, right. you know, this is what they signed up for. They're welcome to come to the party. But if they want to, then they got to figure out how to get back and forth. Yeah, that makes sense. So where are you actually located? So the building behind me is our mother house and residencies for the sisters. It's just outside of Springfield, Illinois. And so that's where our corporate offices are. That's I'm working from my home today, but 
that is where we, all of us leaders are at. Um, the only leaders that aren't in Springfield are those individuals that run our Wisconsin division. So and they're up in Green Bay. Okay. So just for a little bit of background, um, the organization, you've got 15 hospitals in uh, Illinois and Wisconsin and a lot of uh, clinics and obviously come with a that. Couple of, a couple, couple of hundred clinics. <laughs> yes. Right. Okay. And so there are division CIOs for the two hospitals. How does that work? So what we have done is we've consolidated. I'm the system chief information officer. And then there are two divisional information officers. Those two divisional information officers break along two lines. One covers Illinois, one covers Wisconsin. So there's a geographic distribution, but I also made them responsible for functional distribution. So the Illinois CIO actually has responsibilities for all things that would fall into the business systems categories. Okay. And the CIO in Wisconsin has everything that would be called a clinical systems. It's not pure, but it's on paper. That's the way it's supposed to play out. Yes, that seems like a good way to break it down. And has that been the case for a while? You know, we've actually been greatly consolidating. It used to be that we had CIOs at every hospital and at the corporate level. And we have slowly been consolidating that down. When I started here, we had five there's myself and five additional CIOs. And mm-hmm. So it's me and two now. But then I've also got two VPs. One's my chief technology officer. So all things infrastructure. And then my chief performance improvement officer. She's a pharmacist and has responsibility for all things. Training, support, optimization. Her bailiwick is not to get it in, but to get it operating to, to its you know, 98th percentile. Yeah. Okay. And so from a perspective of really keeping alignment with the overall mm-hmm. strategy, that seems to work well as far as having one of the CIOs who's more focused on clinical and... and- mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it works well. I mean, we a lot of organizations would say, you know, does the IT department need its own strategic plan? And Mm -hmm. I'm an anti-strategic plan person on one hand, just because of the work that it takes to build and maintain. Mm -hmm. But really from an IT perspective, the only thing you really need a strategy, an IT strategy for Mm -hmm. is the infrastructure, just making sure your data center, your networking, your, all of the, the redundancy, the data recovery, all of those elements. Yes. Then you have to, you have to have a plan for that. And then probably information security. So, you know, we've got a very specific plan laid out from an information security perspective, but as it relates to all of the functional applications that support the care process, including, you know, both financial and clinical, it makes far more sense to, to have that be the systems priorities and strategic plan aligning and driving everything that we do, right? So they set the priorities, we'll identify the projects that, you know, that need to get laid out and propose them. And then we work in tandem to make sure that uh, the most valuable of those efforts get done in in any given year. Okay. And now as far as the application environment, is everything, hospitals, clinics, everything on Epic at this point? We did. We just brought our last two hospitals up on Epic in January, very end of January oh, okay. of this year. So now every one of our hospitals in every one of our clinics are up on Epic. 
you know, Epic has also a lot of specialty modules. Some of those we have already in place. Others are kind of coming in the future, kind of rolling those out as they're optimized and ready to, to be utilized. And then we still have a fair number of unique departmental applications in spaces where Epic isn't necessarily considered the leader of the pack and or there is a couple of circumstances where it just didn't make the economic sense to change, right? So we use SunQuest in our laboratories. You know, Epic's got a, a product called Peaker that they run for their laboratories. And the return on investment when we looked at it was, was going to be 10 plus years. And it just didn't seem like that was the right capital investment to make. And we're happy everything works at this point. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then as, oh, the specialties aside, having all the hospitals on Epic, can imagine that that's been a multi-year journey as it usually is. We started, um, so I started in 14, got the plan approved the spring of 15. So, I mean, it took seven, seven years. Now it took two years longer than, than planned because of COVID mm-hmm. and because we acquired yeah. the last two hospitals that we brought on board were both acquired hospitals. So they weren't part of the, okay. uh, the original plan. So essentially we were on the schedule that we laid out. Uh, with the exception of the the two later hospitals. Okay. Were you, in essence, brought on board? I'm sure that that was a lot of the reason. (laughs) Yeah. um, So I had two successful hospital system uh, transitions from legacy EHRs to Epic under my belt. I was just the guy that was the pretty face. The people did the work. I just had good people that got it done because yeah. the teams were three completely different teams in each of the, the different organizations that, uh, that we worked on. And then the second reason probably is obviously because my clinical background. I think that um, that um, lends an air of legitimacy to the work that's getting done. And at least from a clinician perspective, they have a better sense of trust that I'm going to be out watching for them. Though it's interesting, most people may not be aware, but really the people you need to take care of in the hospital are the nurses, right? So 90 plus percent of the care, the documentation, the services, the attention, the handholding, that's all the nursing staff. And, And so... We had to get doctors to stop writing on paper. That was the hard piece of work. But all of the efficiencies that really need to get driven with the other caregivers in the hospital and in the physicians. Yeah. And I, I imagine that's something that you uh, you certainly learned from the clinical experience um, to mm-hmm. really make sure that that emphasis is there on taking care of the nurses. Well, the reason I, I laughed, Kate, is because... Um, remembering my very first night. So literally on Friday, you're a med student. And Mm. on Saturday, you're a resident physician. Mm. And I stayed at the same organization. So I actually went to to the ICU. So my first first night on call was in the ICU. And a nurse got in my face and said, you didn't learn Jack over the last four years. And you better pay attention to me because I'm going to teach you what you need to know. Mm. And you got about a week to learn it. <laughs> and, you know, it what was, a wake up call. <laughs> yeah. It, and there's a lot of people who would have kind of shunned that off, but I, I took it to heart and it, yeah. it probably made all the difference for kind of how I've been able to, to progress in my own career. So, 
And when it comes to go lives, um, I'm sure that, that that's got to be such a big part of it, incorporating mm-hmm. the nurses and really making sure that they do feel heard. Yeah, you know, I'll be honest. I, despite three tries, I did not feel like I truly cracked the training nut. I mean, I know what needs to be done, right? So trainers in Epic are amazing at here are all the menus and here are all the things you do and here's where you document, but they don't tell you how to do your job, right? Mm -hmm. If if my job is to admit a patient, what what are the steps I need to go through to get that patient admitted? If I'm transferring a patient from the emergency room to the floor, what does the person in the emergency room need to do so that the person on the floor can follow the next step? And we just struggled and struggled and struggled with that. And part of that was just because in order to do that effectively, your classes need to be much, much smaller, right? Mm -hmm. So, because you can, you know, I can train every nurse if I'm just showing them where the buttons are, but I have to train ICU nurses if I'm training an ICU workflow. Well, if I'm training an ICU workflow, I can't take all the ICU nurses off the floor at the same time. I can probably only tap into one or two at a time. So suddenly you go from classes with 20 people in them to classes with two to four, and then you, you see where the math goes on that very quickly. What I did do better the third time around was outsourced the support Mm -hmm. to a company that I have had great experience with. And those individuals were able to very quickly to assist the clinicians with here are the tools and how do you do your job? And they would sit down with them from day one and actually show them on site how to go yeah. about doing that. Actually, I had two different groups. I had one group that was focused specifically on the physicians and another group that was focused specifically on everybody else. But both of those choices were money very well spent. I mean, I was talking with each of the go-lives, millions of dollars that we invested in, in that support infrastructure, but it's probably the single best investment that we made during the course of the implementation. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.